Thank you for joining us today for Celebración Program Podcast. My name is Aníbal Ruiz. I'm the Program Director for Refugees Northwest Foster Care, a program of Lutheran Community Services Northwest. Today, I'm visiting with Diego de Acosta, Program Coordinator for the Elder Refugee Program. Diego, thanks for joining me today and for sharing a little bit about you and being willing to have this conversation. So why don't you tell me a little bit about you um, and specifically your role uh, with the, the program here at Lutheran Community Services. All right, so my name is Diego de Acosta and I'm the coordinator for the Elder Refugee Program, uh, Refugees Northwest, a branch of uh, Lutheran Community Services. The program is based out of SeaTac, and it's for refugees and asylees who are 60 years of age or older, how to, how to navigate the places yeah. they live in. Yeah. If they're uprooted from the countries uh, where they've been living, then some of that is taken away. So they may not have, okay, first of all, language is a, is, right. can become an, an issue. Yeah. Uh, they're navigating places in a new language and they may not know how to take public transportation, find out about public housing, uh, know all the ins and outs of healthcare and health insurance. Mm -hmm. And the, the real problem is they also may not have a lot of people to ask about these things. So we right. look to fill in the, the gap there. Yeah. Okay. So, cause you're, it's that community network. I mean, we all thrive on these, right? These social connections. And I think about where, you know, college students or somebody graduating from high school moving to a new city. And if you go there and you're the only one there, it's a whole different experience. And if you go there and you're connected with either a relative or a friend of a friend who went there that you used to know, they can help you navigate through these very foreign um, uh, establishments, right? Especially when we start talking about like mental health and some of these other aspects that can be difficult enough to, to navigate. So this elder program helps them to integrate a little bit more into, into their communities and develop these social networks that they have been, um, that they're lacking now, right? Yeah, that's right. So the services um, include some, some really basic things like some ESL type classes mm -hmm. so they can just communicate with the people around them, uh, citizenship related classes so that they can um, take the steps from green card holder to citizen. Okay. And uh, information sessions about all of these complex things that I've mentioned. So everything, I mean, you get to a new place, everything can be kind of bewildering. And if you don't know who to ask or how to ask, then um, it's just very difficult to conduct your day-to-day -day life and, right. and eventually thrive, right? If you're just trying to figure out how to take a bus or how to go to a clinic. Yeah. So we look to make that part doable so that then they can thrive in the rest of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. How have you seen, tell me about some of the changes, positive impacts that you've seen from some of the folks who have entered your program, maybe early stages to then, you know, later on. How, well, how, how long are folks kind of involved with uh, the elder program? This program, it's, it's part of an ORIA grant, and the program is meant to uh, reduce social isolation and help people get integrated into their new communities. Mm -hmm. So if you think about older, older folks, usually 
have uh, a lifetime of connections to the places that they live. Yeah. Um, really rich social networks and rich knowledge of uh, what's what's nice in this program is that people tend to stick around. So the yeah. narrow definition of the program is that it's for people who've been in the U.S. five years or less and are not yet, yet citizens. Okay. But even as people age out of the program or become citizens, they stick around because they like the program. And the people who've been around longer are in a unique position to help the newcomers. Interesting. Right. So, yeah, the elders in our program right now, they're from Iraq, Ukraine, Iran, and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And I... I like to think I bring linguistic and cultural awareness, but I'm not, I'm not from one of those places. And, yeah. and so someone who is and is an elder refugee is, is just uniquely situated to yeah. help people navigate those situations. Well, I think it's really great because you mentioned earlier the whole community aspect, right? And here is a, a way for refugee elders, 60 plus, you said, is the kind of criteria where they're in a mentor-mentee relationship almost, right? With somebody who's been here for five, for a handful of years and somebody who's just arrived. Um, and I think even at, at the later stages of life, just to be able to have that, uh, I think is extremely important. So um, very cool that you've, you've been able to, to help establish that. So we've had a transition here, right? We've got COVID, we have all of these things that have impacted um, a lot of programs, almost everything everywhere. How how has COVID and the pandemic and the, the shelter in place orders and everything impacted the refugee elder program? Something that from what I'm hearing is very community and relation relational based. Um, yeah. How has it made changes? Has it made changes and, and how so? It's made huge changes. Our our program used to in pre-COVID times revolve around meetings, in-person meetings once or twice a week. And the, the meetings would have food and uh, some social gathering time. It would be like t- for two hours we'd meet. So maybe 15 minutes of just social gathering. How's your week been going? Chances yeah. for people to talk amongst themselves. Then we'd get into either English or citizenship, or if we had someone presenting on one of these complex systems uh, yeah. to navigate, we'd do that. Take a break, eat some more food, socialize some more. And then at the end, we'd have more, uh, I'm sounding like we just eat together, but that, that is a, it's a big part of, it's a big part of it, you know, making it a comfortable space. That, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So obviously none of that is happening right now. It's just right. not a good time to gather in large groups and especially not for people at over 60. Yeah. So um, in the first month, month and a half or so, I was just calling people on the phone to check in, see how things were going. I started mailing some kind of study at home English and citizenship lessons. Okay. Uh, because none of us knew exactly what was going to right. happen, right? right? How long this was going to last. As it as it looked like things were going to go on for quite a while, uh, we started having some virtual meetings, and that has meant. Uh, teaching people to use a, a video call platform. That's yeah. been really interesting to navigate. So uh, onto your job description was added a video conferencing guru for, for refugee elders internationally here. You had to teach them how to use these platforms. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so 
I've been, I feel like I've been very fortunate. At first, uh, these elders are just remarkably resilient. They've already been through really tough situations. Yeah. So, I mean, COVID, stay at home, all of this is awful for people, but they've been through much, much, much worse. Mm. So I think they just have a lot of patience and introducing something new like these uh, these calls, uh, video conferencing calls. It's like, yes, there, there's obviously with older people, there can be some, some struggles. Like, what is this thing? Yeah. I've heard of video calls, but I've never made one. Uh, but there's just a really high motivation to do it and a really great willingness to learn. So yeah. as long as I'm there with them through the various steps, then, then we can do it. Uh, and it's been very nice. Uh, people have stepped up too and helped people who've learned the technology have stepped yeah. up and helped other people learn it. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that, it's inspiring and impressive, right? So how, on average, let's say, what was attendance to groups like pre-COVID? And obviously, I would expect that there'd be some drop-off just because of technical challenges. Um, but kind of what, what have you seen in terms of the continued um, attendance virtually? Yeah, so before pre-COVID, we maybe had 20 or 30 people attending our in-person meetings. And we're getting pretty close to that again. Wow. I, I'm, I'm running, instead of one big weekly meeting, I'm running four wow. shorter meetings. I, I think people just don't have the stamina to look at a screen <laughs> for two hours. It, it makes a difference, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. And also when you're talking on a, in a video conference, the more people you put on there, the more chaotic it gets. Yeah. So I'm not trying to have... 20 people at once we're doing it in small groups of four okay. or five okay uh but it's been really good and there were people who at first said ah, that's not for me just keep sending me the letters send it to me on paper <laughs> but as more people have have gotten into the video conferencing then other people say well okay if so-and-so is doing it then i'm gonna do it too wow which that's is really nice. cool yeah, yeah, that is nice. That is that's it's really cool, Diego. Clearly, you you're enjoying some aspects of this. I imagine some of the technology stuff has caused a couple of headaches behind the scene, but tell me a little bit about yourself and what brought you to this role and specifically working with refugee elders here at uh, at Refugees Northwest Lutheran Community Services. I think it's part of a lifelong journey, honestly. So I I was born in Argentina. My family's from Argentina. Okay. We left when I was pretty young. There was a military coup in Argentina. Um, I don't think we were ever had the legal status of refugees, but we mm -hmm. definitely were immigrants who left under duress. Okay. Uh, went to Venezuela first and ended up in the United States later. And there was a, definitely a period of adjustment for, for myself, for my brother. I could see my parents adjusting to navigating life in the United States. Mm -hmm. We didn't have, uh, I don't think, as many obstacles as the refugee elders that I'm serving have. But I, I was someone who grew up speaking Spanish and English and just got really interested eventually in language teaching because mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was so interesting to you know, figure out how to speak another language. I thought I was uniquely positioned to help other people uh, figure out languages and cultures. Yeah. Uh, so I 
was really into language study in high school and college. Uh, I eventually uh, became a professor of linguistics and Spanish language. I worked wow. at, as a college professor for 12 years. And uh, almost by accident, I saw a uh, volunteer opportunity at mm. Refugees Northwest helping out with this elder group. Yeah. This was at the beginning of last year. And I thought, this is, sounds really interesting. Uh, I wonder what this is like. <laughs> <laughs> so I went. It was, it was not a huge time commitment. I went, but I, and I, really, I just was really taken with this group. Wow. Um, and I, so I don't speak Arabic or Farsi. <laughs> um, I, I lived in Kazakhstan for one year after college and, and learned some Russian. Wow, and I've, okay. I've been able to practice some Russian with the Ukrainian elders. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something just really compelling about this group. Like their situation, I can't imagine being forced to leave my country yeah. you know, at an advanced age. It's just, it just seems really, really hard to navigate. And, yeah. and how well people were dealing with the situation and how well they were forging community. Uh, I was just, it just found it super compelling. So when the uh, program coordinator job came up, I thought, oh yeah, I'm, I wanna do this. I wanna help this group out and uh, see what it's like to manage, not just the, the meeting times, which is where I was volunteering, but all of the behind the scenes, like the programming, yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess it's it's just a lifelong interest in in languages and cultures and helping people kind of be between languages and cultures and yeah. navigate that space. So how can folks in the general community support the refugee elder program? Okay, I think there are a number of ways. Um, in normal times, I would say volunteer. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're not doing a lot of volunteering right now because everything right. is virtual. But keep that if you're thinking about how do I support a program like this, keep volunteering in mind. Uh, donating to Lutheran Community Services is mm-hmm. a help. Uh, it helps support the technological assistance I'm giving right now. Mm-hmm. I'm also doing some food delivery on Thursdays, and we have a food pantry working out of SeaTac that helps not only the elders but uh, a lot more people, and that is a big help because food insecurity is a real issue that a lot of people face. Yeah. And, and further on the, on the food insecurity, there, there are a lot of, we're, we're kind of running a food bank now, but there are a lot of local food banks. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just especially concerned about elders in the area who, you know, the ones who aren't driving, it doesn't, it's, it's such a high risk to take public transportation yeah, to yeah. then a crowded place to buy food and then public transportation home. Uh, of course, if you have means, you can get food delivery, but yeah. if you don't, then there are all these risks associated just with something that should be really basic and everyone's right, which is having food. Right. So I would say, uh, yes, you can donate to our uh, food pantry or donate to your local food bank to help elders. Um, those are some big okay. things I can think of. Yeah. Okay. Is there a place, uh, um, somebody listening going, okay, well, I know we can't volunteer right now and maybe I can help contribute a little bit, but looking for other maybe creative ways of supporting the, the, the program, is there a place where they can go and find out more either online or somewhere they can call and just get connected? Um, you know, other than the general Lutheran community services, uh, website. 
within the within the Lutheran Community Services website, there are, is probably a link to refugeesnorthwest.org, yeah. or just go directly to refugeesnorthwest.org, and it talks about all of our programs there. Got it. Okay. And that would be a place. Fantastic. Anything else you'd like to share that you think we should know, or uh, that folks need to know about uh, what you do with uh, refugee or a uh, refugee elder group? I think an exciting thing we're doing now and is so COVID obviously has been a <laughs> challenge, yeah. right? But one thing that we're doing now that has come out of this situation is we got a we got a grant from Healthier Here to teach elders about telehealth. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of forced into the situation of needing telehealth. And this is like either making calls or using video conferencing to talk to doctors, nurses, yeah. um, physicians assistants. Um, telehealth is the future. So yeah. we, we've been pushed into it quickly because of COVID, but that's, this, is, this, this is the direction we're going anyway. So I'm, I'm grateful to be able to teach the elders about how to make these kinds of calls. Uh, so the education consists of what we've already talked about, which is how to make a video call. Mm -hmm. um, but also some other things, you know, navigating a doctor-patient relationship in the United States is not exactly like <laughs> doing it in another country. There's yeah, slightly different. different, yeah, different relationships between doctors and patients and how much you're supposed to ask and advocate for yourself. Yeah. So this is something that needs to be taught and learned. And also um, just information about language access, like you have a right to an, a legal right to an interpreter. Mm -hmm. um, it's nice if your family member knows say Arabic and English, but maybe your family member is not the person to be interpreting at a right. medical yeah. um, visit right. for a number of reasons. So uh, it's just, there's some really, I think kind of basic things that a lot of people don't know about that I'm, I'm incorporating into our video lessons because I think they're going to be important in the future. And I, I really don't want uh, this population to be left behind as we all yeah. kind of move to telehealth. Diego, just thank you so much, man, for the work that you've been doing. Thank you for the adjustment that you've been doing and, and helping to navigate with. Uh, I'm just envisioning a teacher, especially now with school starting with, the, with a, a, a room of 20, you know, middle school kids. And here's Diego, a professor teaching a room of 65, 60 plus year olds, uh, all back to school. So I, I, I imagine it's, <laughs> it's been challenging, but it seems like you've been enjoying it and, and that it's also been, um, you know, fulfilling and more importantly, helpful to them. Uh, so really appreciate you, the work that you've been doing and the, the work that, uh, that you're doing with the Refugee Elders Program. So thanks for taking the time and sharing with us. And uh, hopefully you'll get some folks who are, are willing to, to support the program as we go. Really appreciate your time, Diego. Thank you so much. Thanks, Aníbal. Glad